You are listening to a sermon from Gateway Foursquare Church in Campbell River, BC. We are so glad that you joined us today and trust that the Lord will speak a word directly to you as you listen. To learn more about Gateway, find out what's happening, or to give a gift online, check us out at www.gatewayfoursquare.ca. You are welcome to join us in person each week at 9 and 11 a.m. Now get ready. Here is this week's message. Pentecost Sunday is, it's a day worth, worth acknowledging, but more than just acknowledging a day that happened a long time ago, I always love uh, Pentecost Sunday as a reminder to say, Lord, would you do it again in our day? And so today I want to I share a bit about Pentecost Sunday, and I want to kind of look at it from particu- some particular angles uh, for us today. But I'm just thankful, and my, my hope and my prayer, actually, and even Ivan was total spoiler. I didn't tell him what my sermon was, and he's like, I feel we need to pray for our children. And I'm like, thanks for, like, you know, taking the wind out of the sails of one of the application points of my sermon. But it's like we serve the same God. Amen? Uh, but praise the Lord uh, as we get to celebrate uh, today. But I had a, a neat moment. Well, actually, I should say something first. Um, so one of my favorite genres of TV shows um, are like time traveling shows. Anyone else like, you know, I'm not a huge sci-fi fan, but there's something about time travel that's so fascinating. Uh, you know, you get in some, I remember one growing up, I, I would watch and the guy would get into this big ball and then, you know, it was this super intense thing and then he traveled through time and some others, Deanne and I have watched and just that fascinating kind of interplay between the past and the present and the future and you kind of don't know where they end up and, and all these sorts of things. Today's sermon is going to feel a little like that because we're going to jump to the past and then further back in the past and then today and into the future. And, and is that okay? Pull, like, strap up your seatbelt. Uh, we're going to travel through time. But I had this cool moment I wanted to share. It was a really sweet moment this week. And don't perceive it as a, I'm trying to suggest I'm a perfect parent moment. This was a grace of the Lord moment. Um, but I was in the car with my boys the other day, picking them up from school. Uh, this must have been Friday, because Deanna and Evie were at a track meet. Uh, and uh, anyway, so I was driving with my boys. And we're just in the car and kind of chit-chatting away. And, and as many of you know, we're preparing uh, for a move and all these things. And, and, um, and as we're just thanking and trusting the Lord for his perspective on this timing of the sale of our house and all these things. And we're telling the kids, we'll probably live in a townhouse in Surrey. And these are the things. So I drew, drove by a townhouse uh, in town. And Lucas, my youngest, is like, we're going to live in a house like that, right? And you could just see his kind of gears churning. He's like, so if I kicked the wall, the neighbors would hear me kick the wall. Um, And I'm like, yep, the neighbors would hear you kick the wall. We'll have people right on the other side of the wall. And and he's just kind of processing change. And that's fine. It's all good. And And then he's like, I wonder if the neighbors, like, will have kids to play with. And I'm like, well, hopefully we'll have, we'll we'll ask the Lord, we'll trust him that he'll provide us with some good neighbors and some friends to play with. Good. And his mind keeps churning. He's like, this is my seven-year-old, right? He's like, our neighbors, they might not be Christians. And I was like, okay, where is this going? But he's just kind of, you know, doing his thing. And then out of nowhere, seemingly, because we didn't have this conversation, I have not had this conversation with him, so I still don't yet know why he came up with this. He's like, they might have demons in them. I don't know if that's why when we tell people we're moving to Surrey and they're like, you're going where? What? Um, but this is my seven-year-old processing. They, they might have demons in them. And he's still processing. He's still churning. And then he's like, but then, but then we could tell them about Jesus. And he's like, we could tell those demons to go. I'm like, that's right. We can do that. And then my seven-year-old, he's like, and then the Holy Spirit will fill them, right? So I ask him, who were you talking to? (laughs) Like, were you talking with friends? Did you go and like, I don't know who. But he's processing all these things. And so I'm having a great moment of not like I'm a rock star parent, but I'm like, thank you, Jesus, that you've communicated with our best intentions and a loving community. And he's catching some stuff I didn't even realize was floating around in his head. 
that he's going to tell demons to go and people are going to get saved and be filled with the Holy Spirit. My seven-year-old, come on. And it's an exciting story where like it stirs our heart. Why? Because most of us, we so long for the next generation to experience some of the things that we've experienced too. And today, as we think about the day of Pentecost, I want to just draw our attention. We're going to look at Joel chapter 2 and Acts chapter 2 and those things. But if we kind of focus on an angle today, I want us to think about the the multi-generational dynamic of Pentecost. That Pentecost is not just about me having a cool experience with the Holy Ghost. But right baked in to what the day of Pentecost represented and was is this perspective of legacy, of the future, of what God will yet do, not what he's just done. So let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word. And I thank you for this opportunity that we're sharing, Lord. I just love, we love this community of faith called Gateway. What a blessing for us to be together today. What a blessing even for those joining us online to be able to participate. And Lord, we long for your word to transform us today. We long for your Holy Spirit to continue to encounter us, to stir faith, to transform our minds. And so, Lord, I pray for that enabling work of your Spirit. Lord, that your word would be uh, brought forth. Lord, that it would be uh, illuminated in our minds by the work of your Holy Spirit, not the work of an individual, but, Lord, your work in us and through me. And would you use it, God? Lord, would you stir faith in our hearts for what is yet to come as we even consider what has been. Uh, So, Lord, we give these times to you In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Just before I go any further, maybe you're a little unfamiliar and you're like, he keeps talking about this thing called Pentecost and I don't know what he means. It'd be a fair question if you don't know, if you don't don't know that dynamic. But uh, uh, Jesus, you know that guy? He died and he rose again. Thank you, Lord. And he spent time after his resurrection for 40 days speaking and appearing to his disciples and these things. And then he ascended into heaven where he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And as we've been reminded today, in the spirit, in God's eyes, we're seated there with him too. And you might be like, my feet are right here in Campbell River, but that might be physically the case. But spiritually, you are seated with Christ. Amen? Uh, That's a totally different perspective and way to look at our lives. So Jesus ascends, though, backtracking to that point in history, and he tells his disciples, wait in Jerusalem. Pray. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait for the empowerment that you're going to need to do the job I'm telling you to do. And so then they wait. And the day of Pentecost, 50 days after uh, Jesus' death, uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the believers, that tells us in the book of Acts, and we'll read part of it later. But Acts chapter 2 is this where you can read the whole story. The believers are gathered in an upper room, and they're praying. Why? Because that's what Jesus told them to do. They're waiting because that was their instruction. They were disciples. Disciples follow their master, and so they're praying and waiting. And then the Bible records for us that the sound of a mighty rushing wind was in the room, and tongues of fire, like flames of some sort, rested on each of their heads. And so, again... This is a supernatural moment. This is not normal operating procedures. There's something powerful and significant that's breaking out. Jesus said it would happen. It was the promise of the Father, and there it's happening in that upper room. This amazing picture as as God fills these believers with the Holy Spirit. They're empowered. They're emboldened. And what do they begin to do? They begin to speak in languages they've never known. They begin to praise the Lord and and all these other people are starting to hear this commotion and are like, what is going on over there? As the Bible tells us, people from a bunch of surrounding nations who were in town in Jerusalem were like, hey, those guys are speaking my language and they realized pretty quick that the guys speaking weren't that bright. They weren't well-educated, well-traveled guys, but they were supernaturally being enabled to speak in languages they never learned. This is a powerful moment. And it marks a pivotal moment. Some would say that it's the birthday of the church. The filling of the Holy Spirit. So these spirit-filled individuals then begin to do what Jesus told them to do. They bring the gospel to the nations. And we, we find ourselves in, this, in that continued flow of the Spirit even to this day. Pentecost was a big day. 
But it wasn't just a disconnected moment that was unrelated to other things. It wasn't that it was just like God all of a sudden decided, hey, some wind and some flames would be fun. Let's throw that in there just for, like, this is tied into a, God's big grand narrative in Scripture. And so on that day of Pentecost, Peter was one of the apostles. He, was, uh, he, he gets up because people are confused. They're like, what's going on? Are they all drunk? Like something, it, obviously it was out of the ordinary. It was a bit messy. It was all, all this stuff. So Peter has to get up and say, they're not drunk. And I love his, the way he answers. He's like, it's too early for that, which is a funny argument to make. But anyways, um, and then he begins to explain what's happening. And how does Peter explain what's happening? He looks to the book. He doesn't get up there and kind of scratch his head and say, guys, this is weird and I have no idea. No, no, no. He gets up and I believe also empowered by the Holy Spirit. See, this is one of these cool moments in Scripture. There's no conflict between the powerful move of the Spirit and the strong understanding and proclamation of the truth of God's Word. Amen? It's both Spirit and truth. And so Peter gets up empowered by the Holy Spirit and quotes the Bible in Joel chapter 2. And so I want to start in Joel chapter 2. So again, day of Pentecost, get in the time machine. Now let's go back way earlier to the book of Joel, and it's, you know, you're like, oh, how far are we traveling? Well, the answer is we don't quite know how far we're traveling. There's a lot of debate about how, uh, when the prophet Joel wrote the book of Joel. Uh, it doesn't change any major teaching or dynamic of his book. Uh, but anyways, just for full context sake, we can chat more about that later if you want. Uh, but Joel uh, is a book in the Old Testament. Joel was a prophet, spoke, speaking on behalf of God to the nation of Israel. And now for many of us, we're pretty familiar with Joel chapter 2, the part especially verse 28, where uh, Peter quotes verse 28 and following on the day of Pentecost. But for fun this week, I was kind of like, what's the context of Joel? What do I mean by context? Like, how did that fit when that book was first written? Because that's just a good way for us to start to understand what God, God's word mean, means. What did the people who originally hear it understand this to mean? So we ask questions like when, what culture, what, what time, what language, what was going on politically, and all these sorts of things so that we're understanding. Because things pulled out of context, you can make the Bible say crazy things out of context. So there's this wonderful thing of just like asking some good questions. So I, are you all right if we do a bit of Bible study this morning? Um, and man, worship and everything was a bit slow, so I got a lot of, or not slow, was a bit short. Short was the word. All that to say, I got a lot of time, so we can unpack some stuff this morning. No, we'll, we'll be all right. We'll be all right. Sorry. Context of Joel. It tells us in the beginning, Joel chapter 1, verse 1. It's not on the screen, but if you've got your Bibles, you could follow along in Joel. It says, the word of God came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. So again, just a really short introduction. We don't know a lot about Joel, but we know he was a prophet and he's speaking what God wanted him to speak. And we know in scripture, right, God used prophets repeatedly as key figures to speak, to warn, to encourage, to comfort uh, his people. And God still speaks with prophetic gifts to this day. Now, I don't, we're not looking for prophets that are gonna be writing new books of the Bible, Amen. Uh, but God still speaks prophetically through gifts of the Spirit in the lives of people. And so this pattern isn't new. And uh, the book of Joel, we f the scholars would suggest kind of fits in it to at least a window of time where either the nation of Israel is about to go into exile. And what do I mean? Again, you're learning a lot today. Uh, the nation of Israel were God's chosen people, but God made a deal with them called the covenant and said, if you obey, you'll be blessed. And if you disobey, you're going to get booted out. So quite possibly, Joel was written to these people just before they get booted out as a warning. Although some scholars would also say that this book was written after they'd been booted out and came back. It's possible. The big theme of the book stays the same. But we've got to remind, that, remind ourselves is that this book of Joel wasn't just some random 
religious text that had, wasn't connected to real people. It was real people that God was speaking to. And so when we understand that, it begins to speak to us into some ways as we understand what they heard. Then we look at, well, Lord, how might you be speaking to us today through these words? And so we see in the book of Joel as it begins off, we won't read all of it today for sake of time, but Joel reports about this locust invasion and says, you guys need to remember that event. You need to remember that these locusts came and these different kinds of locusts and the first ones came and then the other ones came and they decimated and destroyed. You need to remember that moment and tell your kids about it. Like this was a, a, a challenging moment. Now there's some debate. I love studying the Bible. Some people think it literally means that locusts came and ate their harvest. It's quite possible. But we also know, because it's prophetic, that sometimes prophetic language uses uh, allusions or, or, or metaphor and thing, that the, those locusts might as well, might also have been an invading army. And you could see why either of those would be traumatic events in their culture. Uh, if you lived in those days, time machine way back, uh, there was no superstore. And so if the locusts eat all of the crops, what are you eating six months from now? You don't know. This is disastrous if it was literal locusts. And if it was an invading army, it's disastrous because an, an army is coming. So whichever way you like, if it's locust or if it's an army, these people had experienced a rough season. Desperation, calling on the Lord. And so Joel's reminding them of this, but then he's also pointing them to this really difficult dynamic. That in the midst of this, this, this disaster, he suggests to them that that wasn't just a random event, but that it was actually God's judgment against them. Ooh. And so what's the response? Joel calls them to repent, to lament to the Lord in their disaster. And also begins to paint the picture that this was, that there was a day of the Lord yet to come, which is gonna be even worse. It's like, oh man, this is a rough sermon for Sunday, right? Like, but again, let's put it in the context of where it came from, because it'll sing once you put it all together. Sometimes, again, we have the temptation to read the Bible uh, from like happy verse to happy verse, and then we ignore the non, all the stuff in between. Like if you can put it on a mug, we'll do that. But all the other stuff, we're like, that must be Old Covenant. Like that, that must be for someone else. But when we put it all together, it's so beautiful. It gets even better. God's word is so good. Even when we have to plow through sometimes thinking, I don't get all of this, Lord. So then we, re we call out to him. But, so these guys had faced disaster, and Joel's saying there's some rougher stuff about to happen. And he calls them to repent. In Joel chapter 2, verse 12, this, um, the, there's a pivot point in the whole book of Joel from kind of like bad news, bad news, doom, gloom, gloom, judgment. And then we hit Joel chapter 2, verse 12. If you've got your Bibles, you can read along with me. It says, yet... That is a good word. The tone for the first part of the book is heavy, heavy, heavy. And then there's the word, yet. It's like this crack of hope. Like just this little bit of light starts to peek through. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Well, that's an interesting line, rend your hearts and not your garments. What's God, what's, that, what's God saying? Well, in that culture, if you were mourning, you would, you would rip your cloak open. Like it was the, that's how they would express deep grief or deep emotion. Don't worry, we won't do a demonstration today, but they'd rip, rip the clothing open, but it turned into a bit of a religious show. Oh, I should look sad. I rip my clothes. I'm fasting. I'll look super weak while I'm fasting, right? Like they're, what should have been authentic religious expressions were becoming religious shows. And so the Lord's saying, repent, and not just kind of on the surface repent. Repent from your heart. So don't worry about ripping your clothes. Rend your heart. Come to me. And it goes on from there too. It's not done. 
Return to the Lord. Why? For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. Guess what? We serve that good God too. Here's the thing. Some of us might be like, well, God set them up for this, right? God was judging them, la, la, la. They came into an agreement with the Lord. And the rightful punishment for them they signed up for was that if they would abandon the Lord, if they'd worship false gods, God would boot them from the land and there would be, God would remove his covering from them and this was the deal they made. And know what God, what's God saying? God's saying, try me here. Repent. I'll, I'll, I'll be gracious. God is so good. There's this call to these people, repent, turn to me, or return to me. And it goes on and it tells us that in this prophetic word, it, it, it's, this is something, a, a call to them as a people. In verse 19, we go a little bit further. Well, in the verse 18, it says, Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. And the Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I'm sending to you grain, wine, and oil. Again, well, grain, wine, and oil? Remember, what had they experienced? They'd experienced those locusts or that army eating up all the stuff, and now God's saying, I'm going to provide for your needs. Sounds better than Superstore. I'm sending you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied, and I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. What does that mean? All the other countries looking on and being like, man, what kind of God do they serve? Those guys keep blowing it, and God's like, I'll provide God. Prophetically, Joel is saying, hey, if you call on the Lord, this is what will happen. Your God is that good. He's that awesome. In verse 25, we could read the whole thing. It's so good, but verse 25 says, I will restore to you. Here's the classic verse from Joel. Many of us quote this out of context. Not out of context, but we maybe have never thought about the whole thing. Uh, verse 25, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. And then it lists off the hopper, the destroyer, the cutter, my great army, which I sent amongst you. Again, restoring what the, the years the locust has devoured. God's saying, man, that was brutal, but I'll restore it. I'll, I'll, I'll return. This invitation to these people to turn, from, to turn in their hearts back to the Lord. They'd seen difficulty. And Joel the prophet is saying, the day there's more to come, but if you'll turn, if you'll turn, this is what it will look like. This invitation to respond to God, and, and he is gracious and faithful. And then let's go a little further. In that context, right, people have experienced, I, I kind of imagine that which, whichever the place is, whether this is before the exile or after the exile, Israel was facing hard times. We know that for sure. And in the midst of the hard times, we can what? We become inward focus. We can become in survival mentality. What's going to happen right now? In survival mode, we stop thinking about the future and we start thinking about right now. It's one of these reasons why, you know, statisticians um, observe trends in birth rates and things like that. And during, like, recessions and stuff, the numbers of births go down. And during times of economic prosperity, birth rates go up generally speaking. Why? Because in survival mode, we, we just work on, am I going to eat tomorrow? But in thriving, we look to the future. And I just see this prophetic picture that God's speaking to the nation of Israel saying, trust me, keep looking to the future, return to me. And then God fills in some verses that many of us are more familiar with says in verse 28, and it shall come to pass afterwards, after they had returned to the Lord, God had restored, God had done all these things, it, sh it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. That's from Joel, and that's what Peter quotes on the day of Pentecost. Back in our time machine to, to the 2,000 years ago, the day of Pentecost, right? Give or take. 
And Peter's explaining as these people are speaking in tongues, as they're this dynamic moment's happening, and Peter's like, God's fulfilling his word. This prophecy that happened a long time ago, God is being faithful. He's, he's doing it, and it's happening right here, right now. He's pouring out his spirit. And I love that in the scriptures, right, it's not this random event, but it's part of God's great plan. Even the day of Pentecost is a moment for us to say, thank you, Lord, you're faithful to your word. Inasmuch as is a day where we often say, Lord, fill me with the power of your spirit, it should also be a day for us to thank, that, thank the Lord that he's got this big story, that perspective that Usko was talking about before, that if we'll just line ourselves up with God's perspective, man, it's, it's a great story. But the thing that, again, I want to emphasize for today, as we even look to those verses as well, is in that promise, again, if you're speaking to people that had been through a rough patch, and then Joel says, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Man, that's a turn, because you're worried about what your sons and daughters are going to eat. And Joel steps in and says, let's return to the Lord, and, and, and God's going to pour out his spirit on them. Which, again, we talked about this a number of weeks ago, thinking about Moses, and do you remember that for a number of weeks ago in the book of Exodus, and, and Moses is like, God, this is hard, and God's like, okay, get some guys to help you, and he pours out the spirit onto them, and they prophesy just one time, and Moses is like, uh, after having a conversation with Joshua, is like, I wish that they would all prophesy. Guess what? Joel is the fulfillment of that desire. Joel is saying that's exactly what God's going to do. Because even in those verses, it says sons and daughters, old and young, male and female. God wants to pour out his spirit on everyone. Maybe you've discounted yourself. You're not the kind of person God would pour out his spirit on. Eh, wrong. Because the Bible just told me what's in that, in that dynamic, young, old, male, female, it's saying everyone. Y'all fit in God's plan, and he wants to work in your lives. And this isn't just, you know, an inference. Again, I just so empathize with, imagine being those parents, and you're, what are my kids going to eat? And then God says, he's got a plan for your kids. You're filled with hope. You're looking to the future. And that's so much a part of what I see, too, in the book of Acts. Let's go, let's, if you've got your Bibles, open up to the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And we won't do the whole thing because we've summarized the day of Pentecost. But skipping down to verse 14, let's read a few verses. But Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Again, they were asking, what's happening? So Peter gets up. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. Uh, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Hey, guys, how do we understand this? God already told us about it. That God that said he would be faithful to relent, to restore, to redeem, to answer the cries of people, he's at work here. And then he quotes, in those last days it shall be, God declares, I'll pour up my spirit on all flesh. Again, directly quoting what we've already read out of the book of Joel. And again, for today, for an area of focus for us to look on, I'm so intrigued by this picture of sons and daughters. As I think about my little son, Lucas, that sometimes it's like, you just like, I want to like hit my head or something, because what do I do with you? And then in another moment, he's like, we're going to cast demons out of people. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. There's hope for the next generation. Amen? Sons and daughters. And it's not like, okay, well, Pastor Matt, that was fulfilled at Pentecost. There's no more promise for the sons and daughters. Also, that's wrong. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. I love this dynamic as well. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 37 says this. Now, when they had heard this, Peter's sermon explaining from the Bible what was happening, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent. Is this the same thing that God, that Joel told them to do as well? There's something about repenting. Something, what does that mean? Repentance is this process where we acknowledge that God was right and we're wrong. Uh, repentance, metanoia, I change my thinking. Repentance, I, maybe the simplest way of what repentance is. Repentance is saying, 
oh, that's right, God. I'm not God. Uh, forgive me. You're God. So when we blow it, we say, oh, Lord, forgive me. I, I stepped out of your instruction, your authority. God, I give it back. Repentance. I turn to the Lord. It's a powerful concept. And, and Peter knows it's the same thing they need. Catch this. Israel needed to hear the word repent. Why? Because God, they, they needed to call it for what it was. And repentance opened the door for God to restore not just their physical need, but to give them a hope that in the future, God had more in store for them. Repentance opened the door to Pentecost. And so on the day of Pentecost for these people, Peter's like, you all need to repent too. And, and where, where does he go from that? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. And guess what? You and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the same thing. Repentance opens this door to receive, the, in fulfilling the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. So, and now again, verse 39 the generational dynamic. For this promise is for you. Everyone say for me. And your children. Say children. And for all who are far off. Say those who are far off. So this promise, again, I, I like this. I want to encourage us on, on Pentecost. Sometimes we think Pentecost. Oh, Lord, fill me with the Spirit because it feels good and it's fun and I like it. And yay, Holy Spirit. And that's awesome. Like, I'm totally fine with us enjoying the presence of the Lord and, and all. It's fantastic. But look at this promise. This promise is for you, for your children, and those who are far off. So, man, the promise is for you, but it's also 66.6666% for other people, right? Like, two-thirds of the promise is for not you. It's also for you. Like, this is not excluding you. Do you hear what I'm saying? But in our enthusiasm, sometimes we focus on the one-third part of it. It's for me. And I just want to tell you on this Pentecost, let's believe for that promise for the other two-thirds, for our children and their children. Because guess what? Like Ivan was praying earlier, and again, I did not prompt him to say that. The next-gen director felt like praying for kids. It sounds good to me. But that's exactly what was on my heart. Look at the generation that's coming up around us. Does anyone think that they might need a powerful move of the Holy Spirit? So what's our job is to say, yes, Lord, fill me. But there are two-thirds of this promise that caused me to look into the future, and I need to begin to invest in faith, in prayer, in generosity, into what God wants to do for the next generation so that the church can continue to thrive. Because here's the thing. The church is always one generation away from death. If we don't pass this thing on, But that's not what we're believing for. God wants to fill us with hope and perspective that we can get out of survival thinking and say, God, just like them, you have a promise for our kids too. For my kids, Lucas, Evie, and Hosea, and their grandchildren, which we keep telling them they all must have three grandchildren each in Jesus' name. We want grandbabies. If the Lord should tarry, praise the Lord. And I don't know who, what names you're going to fill in that blank. Your kids and their grandchildren. This Pentecost, can we, can we rejoice on what was, be grateful for what God has done and will yet do in my own individual life, but Lord, would you turn our attention onto the other two-thirds of the promise? There's a work for us to do today to prep the ground for the further fulfillment of God's great promise, the empowerment of the Spirit. And this week, I was looking into this dynamic. I was looking at the state of, especially in, in particular, Gen Z, which again, like, that's kind of those, uh, our teenagers, um, even some of the younger, young adults are in the Gen Z category. And if you're not sure what all those are about, uh, I'm a millennial, and I'm an older millennial. Millennials are like born 1981 and up until I'm trying to think the early 90s or something. And I was born in 84. Uh, so I'm a millennial, but it's the kind of the cohort afterwards, the uh, Gen Z, uh, are the ones that 
are particularly on my radar, although there's a lot of talk to talk about the, the millennials, but man, I'm almost 40, so uh, let's think about the next generation. The millennials are having children, and so I'm thinking about, this week I spent some time just looking and researching about Gen Z, and I want to share some stuff with you about them, because I want us to recognize the dynamic of, Lord, what the, the, the challenge that's ahead of us. And some of you got kids that are Gen Z, and you already know. But some of you might not have Gen Z kids or grandkids, and you might not realize just how much things have changed. So here's some statistics for you. And statistics aren't, you know, the be-all and end-all, but they can be helpful tools for us to think, man, something's happening. And so the caveats on that are this is produced not by me. I did not, you know, spend a bunch of money and a lot of time to survey, you know, thousands of teenagers in the last week. Uh, but there's an organization uh, called Barna. They're a Christian uh, organization in the U.S., and so these stats are particularly American, but they've also done research around the world in Gen Z and find that these numbers hold true, because that's one thing about this current generation is that Gen Z is actually increasingly similar around the world because of media and those sorts of things. They think the same, talk the same, have the same style, all these sorts of things in a way that's never happened before because of some of these challenges. So I think these numbers... Uh, in my, ex they seem to ring true to my experience, but let's hear uh, what they are. Some of the sad stuff, and then some hopeful stuff. We've got both. Some of the challenging things in this generation is that, based on those that they'd surveyed, thirty percent of them had experienced suicidal thoughts. Thirty percent of a whole generation. Like one percent's too many, but thirty percent. One in four report lone, being lonely. And this is interesting, right? Because this generation is, is very well connected on like social media, but they feel lonely and isolated. One in four. At least one in five uh, uh, report being anxious. And we've heard those stats again and again and again, the increasing rates of depression and anxiety. And it just kind of goes up and up the, the, the generational cohorts. What's going on? Well, part of the what's going on is based on two surveys, one by a group called Common Sense Media, uh, and also confirmed by the research of Barna, is that our young people, teenagers aged about 13 to 18, spend an average of 7.2 hours a day on screens outside of the things they do for school and work. We're reaching a different generation. Some of you don't even own a smartphone. And I'm not saying you should, because it would probably be better for a lot of us not to. But again, we either think different about how we're going to reach this generation because they're thinking different based on their use of technology, their experience of media, what they're being taught in schools and all these sorts of things. 64% of these teens that were studied said they would feel incomplete without their phone. But there's also some good news. The challenge, right? Well, one more other stat that was quite alarming was that amongst Gen Z, they're uh, twice as likely than adults to report being atheists. Twice as likely. What's, what are we seeing? That faith baton is not being passed in the amount that it should be being passed from one generation to the next. But in some good news. 73% of these young people said that when difficult decisions come up, that they're willing to turn to older generations for advice. Sometimes we feel they don't want you. They do want it, and they need you, older generation. And now sometimes that's hard, because they're not going to necessarily ask for it in a way that you might want them to ask you for it. And sometimes you might have to process through that they communicate different. This has probably always been the case. Younger generations come up and the older ones are like, these kids, no, no respect. And that's always, that, that we could have said that happened 2,000 years ago and it's still happening today. Okay, we recognize that. But I was so intrigued by that number. Because sometimes we think they don't want, they, yes, they rely on the advice of their friends and all these sorts of things. But I think there's an openness. And, and here's a quick little tidbit. Deanna and I experienced this the other day. We, were, we met with some of, our, some of the Bible college students from, uh, from PLBC. They came here and took us for lunch, breakfast one morning. And, 
And it was amazing that these young people who had never met us before just like glommed on. And the thing that blew me away is that like, you know, Deanna and I there together, you could tell, especially the ladies, were like, they just wanted a mom. They weren't close to older people. I think they're hungry for it. Because they're kind of floating and the culture's telling them that everything is terrible. And, and so who will be those that'll show up with a smile and say, can I be there for you? 75% of them say they would welcome positive criticism from older adults. Also, another stat is that younger non-Christians are more than twice as likely to express a personal interest in Christianity compared to older non-Christians. What does that tell us? Younger generation is open. Many of them actually, though, don't know anything about Jesus. We should still send missionaries to the nations, but we got to recognize in our own nation, there's large portions of the society that have never heard about the saving work of Jesus. We've got a job to do. So why share all these things? Well, there's one encouragement, actually, I should read, and then we'll, we'll tie some of this together. In this Barna report, one of the phrases that stood out to me as I read it was that churches must be a safe haven for wrestling with doubts and difficult questions, a place where the next generation can seek truth and learn together in the context of meaningful intergenerational relationships about living as citizens of God's kingdom. Man, that's a good line. So on Pentecost, I've got a couple things I want to encourage us with. As always on Pentecost, let's continue to seek God for the fresh filling of his Holy Spirit. Amen. In our lives. But for this year's Pentecost, if there's an emphasis to bring, let's wrestle with the reality that the next generation needs to experience that promise in ways they're not currently experiencing that promise. The Holy Spirit is available. Amen? And this next generation just needs, and, I, and again, I'm an, op, I'm an optimist. So I'd like to believe that in the midst of this crazy, people are going to realize this is crazy and there's going to be a hunger and people are going to reach out to the Lord. But what does that require? People ready to say, I'll tell you about him. Why? Because I've experienced it too. And so can I encourage us in some particular ways, this Pentecost, a multi-generational promise that we can do something about, that we might be those that we would, we would continue to say, Lord, I don't want to just be looking inward on what I'll get from the Spirit, but I'll look up and out to the next generations. What can I do? Like just what, like as Joel was encouraging those Israelites, right, that there was a work of repentance that they needed to do that would, be, would lay the foundations for what some other people would experience and maybe not even them. A generational promise. And in a similar way, I think there's some simple things that we can all do to be a part of this. Number one, pray. How do we know that? Well, we look to Joel. God seems to like answering the cries of his people. And there's something about that starting in that place of prayer because God then changes our heart and, and gives us the strategy and the insight and, and we encounter him in a fresh way so that we have something to actually bring to the next generation. Because here's another thing. The next generation wants authenticity. They want to know that you've experienced the goods before they're ever going to buy it. So it's one thing to say, have you heard about the Holy Spirit? They want to see in your life the difference it makes to live with an encounter with the living God. And then they're open. So there's this prayer thing of God change me. So we've talked about this before, right? Lord, let your life flow in me so that there's, it can flow out of me to other people. God, let me experience the promise of the Holy Spirit. Your empowerment, your gifts, your strength, your character being produced in me so that, that I can then share all of those things with those up and coming around me. Not just for me. And we begin in prayer. God responds to the cries of his people. I'm so thankful that Ivan led us in prayer already. And my plan to end this sermon is we're going to pray the same way. And we're going to pray again for the next generation with a bit more oomph, hopefully, because we realize, oh, Lord, I, we don't know in the natural how to fix this. But God, would you instruct us? Pray. Another one, too, I want to encourage, connect with the younger generation. 
I like that quote, intergenerational learning, intergenerational gathering with God's people. What are some ways that we can intentionally go around our young people, and that might look like, even on Sunday, just getting to know a couple of their names and giving them a high five and letting them know that you know, you'd recognize that they're here and being like, that's awesome. Because, man, we, again, need in the next generation so that there's something for this to continue on. And it, could be a, it begins with stuff like that, letting people know you see them. Give them the high five. Why? Then you begin to open the door so that when they do need the advice, they know who they're going to go talk to. And like we were saying earlier, too, or quoting here earlier, and, and the Lord's helping me in this regard, too, because I like being Bible answer man, and it's like, I'm dealing with this thing, and then let me fix your problem. Do this, 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 and that. And sometimes that kind of can create a bit of a, well, but how do, when somebody comes to you and they're wrestling with doubt, they're wrestling with some challenge, how do we not put up the wall, but keep the door open to say, tell me more about that. What is that like for you? And opening doors to those connections as we connect uh, with the younger generation. You know, I can think of times in my own life too. And here's the other thing as well. One of the keys to young people that continue on in their faith is that they feel personally connected to their local church. That's one of the key attributes of, uh, uh, again, of, of people that stay connected. I can think of times growing up in my local church in Surrey at Peoplesful Gospel Church back in the day. And I remember there was young people, or old, some older people that, that took interest. I had one guy, Brother Breen. I don't know why we called him Brother Breen, but he was Brother Breen. Uh, and and he, he took some interest. And, and what did he do? He, it was so funny. He invited me to come mow his lawn and like paid me to mow his lawn. And now that sounds really like he just needed his lawn mowed. But it was, he was being far more strategic than that. There was relationship building happening. There was others. I remember going on my first missions trip and I didn't have enough money and I couldn't ask my parents for more. And I'm like, Lord, how am I gonna like figure this out? And an older guy in our church, the Lord told him somehow, I don't know, but gave me a handshake in the lobby. The first time in my life, someone gave me a handshake and there was a bill in that, in that handshake. And it's kind of that moment where you're like, I don't know what to do right now. Like I see this money and like, but again, I can, as a 39-year-old, remember these are key pivotal moments of older people taking an interest. So again, you might not have all of the Bible answers for all of the dynamics that young people are facing. And sometimes I'm starting to feel a little old and curmudgeonly and like, you know, young people are dealing with stuff and I'm just like, well, you just need to work harder. And, all. and So I understand. But Lord, soften our hearts so we create space to connect. One, one other thing that I want to encourage, think it's, I think it's appropriate too. And it's not all, you know, in, in, in um, but the third thing I wrote down and felt to say is give. Like, I'm so grateful that we have Ivan doing next gen ministry here at Gateway. But there's one of the ways that we partner together in our tithes and offerings that it enables us as a body to resource and invest strategically. So even, can I, can I encourage? One of the things in, in us faithfully giving in our tithes and offerings enables even us as a church to do the work that needs to get done. And not everything is done by employees. Like, that's the reality. The kingdom of God is much bigger than that. But well-resourced and strategically placed people equip and encourage others to be released into ministry. And I want to encourage you, last week in Sunday school, a little boy gave his life to Jesus. We have these young kids that don't really have church exposure and they're coming to church and they're being loved and we have a team that wants them to not just have fun and games but wants them to know what it means to pray and to worship and to know God's word. So sometimes I feel awkward when I say stuff like that, like you should give, but I should get over it. Because <laughs> it's one of the ways that we together say this is important. Okay? So, we have a big challenge around us. I was even talking this week with some Christian families, uh, not at our church, but connected in our city. And I was talking with them about their children. 
and some of their kids are now not walking with the Lord. And kind of standing there in a parking lot chatting with a mom about the face, would you pray for my son? To which, yes, I'll pray. But then I also think, oh, Lord, help us create an environment where we don't need to see that pattern again. And again, we can't control, micromanage, and lock them in the church and, you know, all that. You know what I mean? But, Lord, would you help us be a place? And chatting with that same parent, they got some other kids, too, that are still walking with the Lord, but you can tell there's this feeling of, I might have tried to recruit them for Bible college. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. But you know stories. Many of you are here. You've got kids in that age demographic. How can we stand with you? We're praying. But let's stand together and believe for fresh wind of the Holy Spirit. Here's the one thing I love about the Acts the day of Pentecost, right? Like they were praying, expecting it, but I don't think they knew what they were expecting. But they were seeking it and it came. And so I don't know all of what a move of God fresh in our day will look like. I think it'll be all about Jesus. It'll be rooted in the truth. And it'll be, yes, all those things. It'll take on a flavor and a flair. We think of the early 1920s, you know, our Foursquare movement, right? It's 100 years old now. I'd love to see you. We're going to just hang out and watch a live stream. And we were going to watch it anyway, so we're like, hey, might as well watch it and invite other people to join us. But, you know, when Foursquare got started with Sister Amy Semple McPherson, they used to do tent revivals. I don't know if we set up a tent that would be the effective means of delivering the gospel in 2023. But the same message needs to be proclaimed. So, Lord, how do we do it? And I'm not coming today with the, we've got the plan. I'm just coming with the, let's believe together for what God will yet do in this day. I think he's setting it up. There's going to be a hunger and a longing in, because this world is confused and has no answers. So who gets to stand up, the church? Who gets to stand up in the midst of an addiction crisis that no one has any answers for? The people with the God that sets people free. Who gets to stand up for a generation that's feeling hopeless and depressed because the whole world keeps telling them all the time everything is terrible? We do. Again, driving with my kids in the car. Sometimes I listen to the news. And the news is like, global warming, it's terrible. And we've, oh, we've gone over the edge. And then I have to tell my kids every time, we have good hope because God's on our side. God's got good plans for your future, but not everyone has someone to whisper into a kid's ear that that's what's going on. So how, who is he sending you to? Can we stand together? Oh, Lord, can we call on the Lord? Sean, if you'd come, that'd be awesome. I won't make you talk, but you could just... <laughs> One of these days, it should just pass the mic to the keyboard player and walk off the stage. and You can wrap it up. Take it home, Shauna. Can we take even a few moments to pray? And I, my hope and my prayer, one great application point of this service would be, would it, what would it look like for you to set aside a window of time to spend some time in prayer this week beyond right now over the next generation? For young people that you know of, maybe you don't have any young people in your lives. Well, I can get you the names of some we'd like you to pray for if that's what would help you to remind you to pray. But let's take some moments as the people of God we're a house of prayer. Amen, Gateway? There's something that happens as we call out to the Lord. And we need in that moment, yes, Lord, would you stir our hearts? I was sharing encouragement yesterday with the group talking about the Lord. Lord, would you direct our hearts to the love of God? Would you direct our hearts to the endurance of Jesus? Sometimes we need to say, God, I need you to help shift my priority, shift my affection for things that would line up with your heart. That's an okay prayer too. Because maybe you're like, man, I'm not feeling it. Let's pray that God would help us to feel it. But in the meantime, let's do what we've been called to do, lifting up prayer one for another. And so let's take a few moments, even now. And again, I want to encourage you. Sometimes it's like, oh, why do we pray out loud? God hears me when I pray inside my head. Yes, he does. 
But there's something about that dynamic of gathering in a corporate environment where we pray in faith out loud. Jesus taught his disciples, when you pray, say. There's something about engaging our full selves when we begin to pray out loud. And again, in our natural, we can be like, oh, I feel a little awkward, and will I pray the right thing? The person beside you might be, it's like when you, like, if you work out in the gym, sometimes it's like, what is everyone else thinking about me in the gym? They're not thinking about you at all. Just at church, like if you're praying out loud, I don't think the person beside you is like critiquing your grammar and how scripturally based was your prayer. They're praying. And there's something about that dynamic of corporately agreeing together in faith. Can we take three, four minutes right now to begin to pray for a move, a Pentecost Sunday type move of God in this next, in this not next, because we keep chucking it into the future. Gen Z, right now, they need a move of the Holy Spirit. Our middle schoolers, our elementary students, our high schoolers, our college-age kids that are growing up with lies being spewed at them at every corner, lies that are saying, like, God, it, yeah, God doesn't exist, and you're the boss of everything, of you, all these things. They just need an encounter with their creator. Can we begin to agree together? I'm going to pray into a microphone. Ideally, that'll help you give you some cover of not feeling like you're the loudest person in the room. But can we begin to pray together, even out loud, for the next moments? And can I also just say one last thing before we start to pray? Even right now, as we begin to pray, I just wonder if a few of us, there may be something the Lord puts stirs on your heart as an emphasis, as a something. I think we even got a few moments that if you just have a prayer to lead out in, as you would feel, sometimes you're like, what does that look like? People come up and pray. How do they know they're supposed to? Well, you'll know. Sometimes it's your heart goes, and other times you're just like, Lord, I just know that this is the thing. God will let you know. But I would even invite you, if you've got a prayer you would like to pray for us, right, uh, for this next generation, even as God would prompt you, come on right up front and we'll pray together, okay? That's a lot of words. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Church, can we lift our voices together? Lord, we storm your throne room of grace today. We come into your presence. And Lord, we do what your word says. We cry out to the living God. Lord, we recognize the need of this, this generation, Gen Z, our young people, our children, our teens. And Lord, we stand back and in our natural, we don't have the answer. And so Lord, we call on to you today. Lord, we call on you right now in Jesus' name. And ask, God, would you pour out your Holy Spirit in power in this day, in 2023? We thank you for Pentecost. We thank you for giving your spirit to the church, but we recognize it is still a promise for us today. We are those that were far off, and we think of our children and those even still yet to come. God, we thank you what you've done in our lives, and we pray, would you do it again in this next generation? God, would you open their eyes to see you and their ears to hear? God, would you fill them with power and strength from your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. God, we pray by your Spirit that you would draw unto salvation young people. God, I pray for movements of your Spirit in homes, in churches, even in schools in Jesus' name that you would send workers into the harvest. God, would you send and raise up, Lord, leaders and servants and those that would be willing to speak and be bold to this next generation. And God, in that midst, we say, Lord, here we are. Send us. Send us into the harvest in Jesus' name. God, give us a heart for this next generation. God, give us strategies and insight from heaven. I thank you we don't need to be the coolest, the slickest, the smartest, but Lord, that you will use us as we say yes to the leading and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. God, we pray also particularly for the, ch the, the children that are connected with Gateway. Lord, our kids here in Sunday school, the children, our children, our grandchildren, and Lord, for those that we know by name, God, we just lift them up before your throne of grace and we say, Lord, save them in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, would you draw them? Would you increase their understanding? Would you give them a longing to know Jesus that they would give their whole lives? Lord, not just as some extra little thing, but Lord, deep transformation in their lives. Lord, as you reached out to us, would you save and change them in the name of the Lord? 
We pray for your strength and grace to come upon our children as they navigate this world. Lord, as they navigate the lies and the schemes of the enemy, God, I pray for strength and endurance for our children. God, I pray that they would know, Lord, deep wells of your spirit. They would be so rooted to the truth of your word. God, that that you would help us to, to teach them to do that. Oh, Lord, we pray for our kids. God, I even pray, as I think of the the family that I, I was chatting with this week, and we pray for others, Lord, that have prodigal children, that kids that have grown up in the church but are not yet currently walking with you. Lord, we call back prodigals now in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you hound these children in Jesus' name. Lord, you quicken and awaken them. Lord, those memories, those deposits, those seeds that have been sown into their heart by the love of people, the prayers of grandparents and parents, Lord. The Lord spoken to them in services, in Sunday school. Uh, Lord, in their homes, God, would you breathe upon those seeds in Jesus' name, that they might live. And Lord, even as I just reminded of that picture of the dry bones, Lord, would you breathe by your Holy Spirit on the dry bones of prodigal children that they might live in Jesus' name. Lord, that they would call upon you again. God, that they would turn their lives back to you. They would return in Jesus' name to the gracious and merciful, loving God who who has saved them and made them. Lord, we call them back in in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for parents of prodigals, Lord, that you would strengthen them. God, I pray that you would cancel the lies of the enemy where he would come and discourage and condemn. We say there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, we, did, we, we bind lies and schemes of the enemy, and I pray faith would be replaced. Faith would be put into that place to believe again for our children. We thank you, Jesus. And Lord, as we stand before you here right now in this service on Pentecost Sunday, we thank you that you were poured out, Lord, that you poured out your Holy Spirit in that upper room. Thank you, Lord, that you are God with us, that you inhabit, you indwell us by your Holy Spirit. The very Spirit of the living God is inside of us. Lord, we also pray today that you would, for a fresh impartation in our lives so that we'll have something to give. So people of God, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled in Jesus' name. Oh God, pour out again. Pour out again. Jesus, pour out that promise from the Father. We are those in the time and scale of day of Pentecost, we are those that were the far off ones. It's still our promise. And so Lord, I pray for that release of your filling and your empowerment by your spirit, even today, even now in the name of Jesus. Lord, that your gifts would be released, that the character of the, and the fruit of the spirit would be produced in us. We know in our own strength, we don't got it, but you give us the strength by your spirit. Be filled, gateway, in Jesus' name. Lord, send us in power. And then, Lord, we pray, would you refill, and then for those that are yet to come, oh, Lord, use us. Make us willing. Stir our hearts. even in this day, even when, when sometimes it feels like insurmountable odds, our God is not limited. His hand is not shortened. Lord, stir fresh faith in our hearts. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Can we just, as we wrap up, can we now just begin to express gratitude and thanks to the Lord? Thank you, Jesus. Thank him for your salvation. Thank him for the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Thank him for dying and rising from the dead. Thank him that you get to serve him and love him. Thank him that he's heard your prayer. Thank him. Lord, we love you. We are grateful for all that you've done. We bless your name. We bless the name of the Lord. 
We are grateful. We come as a people, Lord. We've seen you. We've heard you. We've known you. How grateful we are to be those in this world that get to carry your name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you rose from the dead. Thank you, Jesus, that you confirmed all that you said is true. Thank you, Lord, for hope in our hearts. Thank you, Lord. We bless you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, you're so good, Lord. We bless your name. We bless your name. Thank you, Lord. Man, isn't it good to pray together, church? And so, Lord, would you seal these prayers that we've prayed? God, we also pray that you'd remind us. Draw us to our knees. Give us your heart outside of a service. In the middle of this week, God, I pray that we'd begin to see young people and that would prompt us to pray. And Lord, then open opportunities for us to express, Lord, as we've encountered you, to share that with others. The hope we've found in Jesus. So I bless each one as we've gathered here today. Thank you for what you are yet still to do. You are not done yet. Use us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, amen. You got encouragement there, babe? I was just, I was just thinking about, um, you know, sometimes it could feel like an enormous task um, that, we, that we need to go out to everybody. And, but I, I really felt the Lord just saying to me that um, in, about intentional discipleship that as we disciple, um, you know, the few young people in our lives that we know that we're in, in connection with, as we invest in them, they're going to go out and be evangelistic to, to their gen own generation because they are, you know, yeah, I feel like that they are, um, they want to tell the truth, that they want to, they're not going to be afraid that they're going to be bold and they're going to be fearless. And as they're filled with the Holy Spirit, as their disciple, they're going to go reach the generation uh, in their own generation. Uh, so just that intentional discipleship, like Matt was talking about, just, yeah, meeting with kids, meeting with them and spending the time and investing, loving them and sharing the truth, uh, being honest, and that they're going to be bold. They're going to go out. Um, yeah. So, Lord, yes, send workers, send us, and send those, Lord. Oh, you're so good. We know you have a plan. We trust you. Thank you, Jesus. And, Lord, I pray, God, even as we conclude our service today, Lord, that your grace would continue to be poured out. Lord, that you'd, your face would shine upon us, that you'd be gracious unto us, that you'd give us your peace. We continue to look to you, Lord. We continue to give ourselves to you for your cause, for your purposes. Use us, Lord. And we're thankful that you've, you've invited us in. How good you are. How good it is to serve the Lord. Lord, I bless your church. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We trust that the Lord has something great in store for you. Do you have a question or a prayer request? Send an email to info at gatewayfoursquare.ca or find us on Facebook at GatewayCR. Don't forget we gather each Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. at 403 Fifth Avenue here in beautiful Campbell River. Have a great day.